Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships with me, Justin Hancock. Um, this has been available for my wonderful patrons, patrons at uh, patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships for a few weeks. And over there, if you, I'll put a link in the show notes, I'm going to unlock uh, the post over there because there is a whole article, basically I wrote an essay, uh, I got one a bit over the top, uh, and wrote an essay um, and so you can go and read that over there because it has all of the links and things um, to all the other work. And I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes. Uh, unless you're a patron, though, unless you're a patron, you're not allowed to listen to the patron audio. You know, don't do that because I do a completely different tone of voice with them over there. Um, and so, yeah, you can only you can only listen to the audio of the free version, not the <laughs> not the other one. I am, of course, joking. Um they're the same, just with a different intro. Okay, so yeah, this is about relationship anarchy, and I suggest that maybe um, perhaps post-capitalist intimacy might be a better way of framing it, a more inclusive, more helpful way of framing it. Um, but that is the context. I'm basically just reading out an essay here. Um, if you want to support the show, please uh, consider um, becoming a member, a subscriber of the Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships it pays me to make the show basically and also helps pay me helps me to pay guests uh, freelance guests who come on the show um i pay freelance guests who come on the show a 50 pound fee for coming on so you'd be helping me to do that and helping me to pay my rent obviously the more i earn from this the more subscribers i get the more shows i can make because i can make it more of a job also if you want to check out my work generally um go to justin hancock .co.uk where I've got a new website where you can see all of the different work I do and there are lots of things to buy and um, and you can help support me to do stuff that way. Um, okay so on with the show I hope you find this useful and um, yeah okay bye. Relationship Anarchy. With this article I'm going to try and explain what relationship anarchy is and the problems which is which is just trying to solve. I'm also going to try to try to explain why I think this might lead to an unhelpful dialectic. I suggest that perhaps a new framing of post-capitalist intimacy and what that might do, how that might be smaller, more mundane, quieter, but also more radical. I also suggest that this way of doing relationships might turn us away from the seeming impossibilities of capitalism and more towards the, in adverse commas, unimaginable possibilities of abundance. Relationship anarchy. Relationship anarchy is a term coined by Andy Nordgren, a description for which you can find at the Anarchist Library. It's a way of subverting the cultural idea of the romantic relationship and the nuclear family. It's about recognising and disrupting the imposed norms of how we should do relationships. In short, someone practising relationship anarchy doesn't believe that one kind of relationship, for example, a friendship, a romantic relationship, a family relationship, should be treated with more or less value than another. It means evening out the hierarchies of relationships, entering into intentional relationships with ongoing commitments and recommitments based on trust and our ongoing sense of our own relationship values. It's the kind of thing I like to practice and have done for a few years now, but I'm ambivalent about the term. This is partly because I'm definitely not an anarchist, my problem with it might just boil down to semantics rather than the praxis of relationship anarchy, 
But I do think that those of us that practice it might sometimes desire the outsider minority status of the label. This, as demonstrated by Meg John's use of the crab buckets analogy in their excellent book, Rewriting the Rules. If you've not read that, just stop everything you're doing now and go read that. This, as demonstrated by Meg John's use of crab buckets, the crab buckets analogy in Rewriting the Rules, affords some relationship anarchists the power to say what it is and who gets to do it. This also reinforces the idea of relationship anarchy as being an antagonistic outsider to that which it says it wants to subvert. But before I go on why I think to why this, I think this is a problem, we also need to see the problems that capitalism causes. Why is capitalism a problem in our intimate relationships? Capitalism is responsible for many of our problems. Injustice, poverty, climate breakdown. We talked about this in the Meg John and Justin episode about neoliberal capitalism. Materially, it places tremendous pressure on us to organise our lives into small nuclear units. Living is incredibly expensive and it's getting even more expensive by the year. The two main political parties and discourses of the mainstream media and popular culture reify this idea of hard-working or strong families or the one or the knight in shining armour and the happy ever after. Neoliberal capitalism has also inculcated in us the desire to compete with ourselves and others to continually better ourselves. This is on a symbolic level of self-improvement and looking after our hard-working family units, but it's also on the material level because jobs for life no longer exist for many people, employment has been getting increasingly precarious and more poorly paid, and we're also having to compete with others to get better and more stable jobs, as well as having to compete with ourselves to better ourselves. Of course, and very much part of capitalism, there is the patriarchy, which, as the name suggests, means compulsory, or at least assumed, heterosexuality and an understanding that to engage in sexual activity is with the aim of reproduction first and possibly enjoyment second. There's no doubt about it, capitalism is making a lot of us miserable, symbolically and materially. For a lot of people, relationship anarchy is a direct challenge to this. The term brings it with brings with it the anti-state, anti-authority, antagonistic, maybe violent, and revolutionary idea of anarchy. For a lot of people, relationship anarchy is about fucking up the normative monogamous nuclear family systems that capitalism relies on and creates. For many, it is anti-capitalist. Side note here, for some people, relationship anarchy is not anti-capitalist at all. They might reject capitalist norms of the nuclear family, but this would only be to serve their own high, highly individualistic and libertarian politics of doing what they want when they want to. To move fast and break things. To only make commitments when it suits them and to drop them when it doesn't. This is just neoliberal capitalism as intimacy. But why capitalism versus relationship anarchy is a problem? So we have two things in dialogue, the capitalist relationship model versus relationship anarchy, the status quo and the revolutionary activity. In order for relationship anarchy to be the necessary solution, the problem must always be capitalism. However, I think this dialogue or dialectic creates a few problems. For one, 
by for one by restating the ways in which capitalism immiserates all of us it creates the impression that the system we are living under is unchangeable fixed and a default in such a way that people might think this is natural i think the meanings and associated practices of relationship anarchy might run the risk of amplifying this fixedness of the normal way in inverted commas of doing relationships and organizing our socio-economic system the frederick jameson quote is extremely opposite here and the quote is it seems to be easier for us today to imagine the thoroughgoing deterioration of the earth and of nature than the breakdown of late capitalism perhaps that is due to some weakness in our imagination related to this the second problem is that relationship anarchy sounds too difficult for many people to actually do even if there were revolutionary benefits of everyone immediately flattening out their hierarchies ditching the norm of monogamy and dramatically altering how they organize their lives it would be too hard and unattractive for most people to actually do this of course then leads to a sense of hopelessness because the answer seems so impossible and unattractive so we just stick with a sense of melancholic melancholic acceptance of the status quo so let's take a step back from capitalism versus relationship anarchy and start to soften our gaze perhaps we need to pay attention to something else post-capitalist relating in their book post-capitalist politics jk gibson graham draw on eve sedgwick's said sedgwick's idea of strong theory when they say strong theory definitively establishes what is but pays no heed to what it does while it affords the pleasures of recognition of capture of intellectually subduing that one last thing it offers no relief or exit to a place beyond if we want to cultivate new habits of thinking for a post-capitalist politics it seems there is work to be done to loosen the structure of feeling that cannot live with uncertainty or move beyond hopelessness so if we were able to imagine the breakdown of late capitalism what if in many ways we are actually actively and creatively living in post-capitalism. Where might we be doing that? I think that most of us might be doing this in our intimate relationships, however we might define those. If we bring attention to the ways where we resist the hierarchy of the romantic relationship, honour our interconnectedness with others, embrace abundance, and acknowledge that even our most important, in inverted commas, relationships, need other relationships including our relationship with ourselves applying what jk gibson graham described as weak theory what if we reframed relationship anarchy as post-capitalist relating what would that do what might this look like and how might many if not all of us be doing this already here are some examples the person who spends a quiet night reading their book while they go and babysit for their mates so they can go out someone in a monogamous romantic relationship who plays five-a-side football with her mates every Tuesday and goes away with them for a weekend once a year a person who lives in a house with her husband they don't have sex with each other but do have sexual relationships with others a woman who has taken a step back from doing romantic relationships or is at least asking herself good questions about what they could do 
a bloke with a wife, three kids and a job with heavy responsibilities, singing at his weekly choir meetup. For an hour he feels like a giant singing machine, generating loud and beautiful harmonies and melodies. The woman who has a deep and meaningful relationship with God at particular times of the day and can feel unbridled joy and sadness in their company. The guy at the pub with his mates talking about fun and serious stuff, paying close attention to every word coming out of their mouths in an atmosphere of warmth and generosity which the pub takes tremendous care in creating. Or the bloke who, while washing the pots, falls in love with an idea that is expressed to him on one of his favourite podcasts. I've given some fragments of stories of just some of the people I know and I came up with them quite quickly and easily just off the top of my head. And yes, the last two are me. Now, of course, these seem quite trivial and humdrum, but that's the point. It would be silly to call this relationship anarchy, but they do all resist hierarchies. They're all about abundance, not scarcity. They honour their interconnectedness with others and don't draw clear hierarchies or distinctions between different categories of relationships. Society might materially and symbolically put us in scarcity, make us individual and make us create hierarchies, but our resistance to this is everyday humdrum and trivial. It's not at all radical to suggest that it's good to have hobbies or other relationships and to do care work so that others can have fun times. In this way, many of us are doing relationship anarchy, if not being relationship anarchists. What if we were to pay attention to the times when we do this? Just to go to one stage further and to actually acknowledge what we're doing. Taking a moment to say, what a great evening you've had. Or acknowledging the labour of babysitting by leaving dinner and a beer before going out. Or then becoming more available for a solo night out with the person who babysat. Or to thank everyone for their talent and creativity at the football match or at the choir. None of this is to say that anything which happens within the nuclear family or the coupled romantic relationship is bad. Anything we do which to resist hegemony, the should story of how we should do relationships, does not mean that the couple is bad. We can resist the should story and still choose to take part in what the should story tells us to do. It's just that this is now a choice and intentional, which means that it gives us the opportunity to value that too. So rather than us just doing it, we're doing it intentionally and we can value it. In fact, the couple benefits from and also experiences the relationships that happen outside of the couple. We would be bringing with us the other relationships in our assemblage that can help the couple's relationship to become. Relationship assemblages, time, space and abundance. This also means that we can bring some attention to the question of what our self might become too. One of the ideas we've been exploring in the podcast is that of assemblages or rhizomes. So, for example, instead of seeing myself as a 46-year-old bloke who is a sex educator and a fan of Derby County, I instead try to see myself as an effective flow of important people, loves, lives, memories, experiences. For me, relationship anarchy is the best way of doing that. It allows for change, growth, excitement, as well as stability and a deep sense of rootedness. 
The trickiest thing about relationship anarchy is that it is a model which allows for an abundance of love in a capitalist world where, where we are made to see a scarce amount of time, resources and possibilities. Capitalism reduces us to thinking of ourselves as value units, as individuals and in linear time. Breaking free of the should story of what the nuclear family unit should be or the couple unit should be is the hardest bit because we're brought up in this culture and as I've explained materially rent, house prices and, and symbolically rom-coms happy ever after. Of course some people just won't be able to handle non-exclusivity when it comes to things like sex but there are lots of things we might get jealous about but we don't get so hurt up about those. Jealousy is just a set of feelings that we don't have to act upon and they're based on a story which just wouldn't exist if we didn't have a zero-sum game idea of relationships and love, which is just another story. Zero-sum game means that in order to have something, the other has to not have something. Thanks to my friend and patron who explained that to me so carefully all those years ago. Meg John and I have also done an episode about jealousy back in the day. But to come back to post-capitalist and assemblage thinking, how might that free us up because of its emphasis on interconnectivity, non-linear and multiple timeframes, and also its capacity for generating an abundance of resources and love? Let's go back to our examples. The person babysitting for their mate is having a nice time. It's good for her mate, and that makes it good for her because her mate is part of her rhizome. It frees him up to spend another night with her or to have a, have a night in with her while his partner goes out. Of course, an aunt-nibbling relationship is then given the possibility of becoming two. The partner of the woman who plays five-a-side on a Tuesday night might be annoyed that they could never do anything on a Tuesday. Let's say that Tuesday is the cheap night at their local cinema and it's not often that they can go together. Well, this frees her up to go to the cinema by herself, which is also a relationship, or to go with someone else, or to join a film club. Assemblage thinking means that she who is playing football is also at the cinema and she who is at the cinema is also at the football. It's good for one and it's good for the other. And how else might their relationship become because of these interests? The person who lives with their husband but not in a sexual relationship might need a flat with at least two bedrooms. So they might have to live somewhere further out from where they want to live. But they can also have people over to stay and visit. They might also host more parties and offer places for people to crash. They might stay over at their romantic partner's houses or go on holiday with them, giving them more space for their relationship with their selves when the other person is not there. The woman taking a step back from romantic relationships is saying no to them and her old self and is paying attention to what else she might become instead. She is creating capacity for a different and more expansive relationship with herself where she is vis visible to herself and others. She is taking time to discover her sexual self using technologies of the self to pass the discourses she has received about how she should do relationships. For more on that, listen to the Her Sexual Self episode I did with Joy Townsend. It's, it's a doozy. The bloke who sings at the choir while his wife is at home with the kids gets to feel collective joy while his wife may, tr may treat herself and the kids to a takeaway ritual or invite her friends over. His wife is able to take part in his collective joy, both in her reaction to it and how that might also amplify his feelings of the collective joy, 
but also again because an assemblage of relationships means that we might be capable of feeling like we were in the giant singing machine even if we were having a takeaway at home and vice versa the woman with a meaning relationship with meaningful relationship with god sees all of the love and connectedness in her life as being a blessing from god they are very much not separate or in competition she takes this with her into all of her relationships collectivity you can see that having this kind of way of relating means more people and a greater capacity for collectivity jeremy gilbert talks about this in his paper on platforms and potency democracy and collective agency in the age of social media and i think in his book common ground which is on my list of things i must read he has coined a term potent collectivity and describes it as this characterizing as joyous social relations and experiences wherein bodies experience an enhancement of their capacities and opportunities for production relationships with others and the production of such relations even on a small scale can surely be seen as marking some kind of democratic advance even on micro social scales if post-capitalist relating is more able to allow for potent collectivities to become then perhaps there is the possibility for real transformation that goes beyond or extends our assemblages so we can see that instead of being a relationship anarchist doing some of the things that a relationship anarchist might do might be a way of imagining post-capitalism but might it be a way of doing it too having relationship models with this caring and mindful ethic that creates spaciousness abundance and honor our interconnectedness that allow for us to become and have the potential for potent collectivity might only go so far it might only be able to ameliorate some of the dreadful material conditions that late stage capitalism is bringing most of us however to be able to imagine and to do post capitalism is a start and it's more hopeful and frankly more radical to consider relationship anarchy to be something that many of us perhaps most of us are doing rather than it just being a somewhat esoteric and fringe identity or label which can only belong to the people who own the knowledge of what it is and what it and what counts as relationship anarchy i'm reminded of the hologram by cassie thornton we did a podcast about this in that she talks about a giant fishing net of interconnected nodes all offering care and support perhaps if you were able to do this you might be able to imagine something very hopeful think of all the times in your relationships where you resist hierarchies honor your interconnectedness embrace abundance and allow for you and others to change to grow and become then think of the times that this might exist for your others in their relationships then think how big that assemblage might be what might that lead to what use might we make of our own experiences of being in post-capitalism to understand a very possible future of something else